Are you listening? Forgot to <laughs> pop us in the stream. <laughs> and welcome into another episode of the Damn Podcast here on the 24-7 Sports Podcast Network and powered by BeaverBlitz.com. I'm your host, Carter Baines, joined as always by BeaverBlitz.com publisher, Angie Machado, and today by SunDevilSource.com publisher, Chris Cartman, who's here to help us preview Oregon State's upcoming game at the Arizona State Sun Devils Saturday morning, if you're watching in Oregon Saturday afternoon, if you are going to be in Tempe, um, Angie, we have we have run this podcast what fifty times since I started hosting, and I think that's the first time I forgot to like put us back into the room. It is after the intro ran. Yeah, you were just um, dancing like I do backstage. Yeah. <laughs> we have we have fun backstage while the uh, while the while the thing is rolling. Angie had fun at the orthodontist about an hour yeah. ago, taking one of her kids in, but made it back in time to to roll here. And we've got another special guest along the 24-7 Sports Network of Experts as Chris Cartman joins us from Arizona. Chris, thanks for taking the time. Always good to see uh, fellow people covering the Pac-12 on, uh, on the network. How are you guys doing? We are good. We're you guys doing are in well. for a treat to, to hear from Chris because he has been covering the team for a while and he's old like I am as far as covering teams go. So he's a wealth of knowledge with the Sun Devils. No lies said. <laughs> We've uh, Angie and I have had a busy day here in in Sherwood. Uh, it was Red Cup Day at Starbucks, so I, I was sitting at Starbucks getting my work done, and I said, "Hey, Angie, did you get your Red Cup yet?" And uh, she said, "No." So I said, "Hey, come by. We'll we'll talk. We'll talk beeves and and drink some coffee." So uh, we've been we've been working on this episode all day. Uh, we're going to ask all sorts of Arizona State questions to Chris for the next half hour or so, and then Angie and I will uh, let him bounce, and we will cover all of the stuff that happened in Corvallis throughout the week, provide our keys to the game, and take a look around the Pac-12. But we start with this discussion on Arizona State, which enters the game as a three-win team. It's going to miss a bowl game. Uh, of, of course, made a, a coaching change early in the season, firing Herm Edwards, but has has played with some fire still. You know, this is a this is a team that still has talent up and down the roster, and it starts at the quarterback position with Trenton Bourget, who practiced in full. Chris Cartman told us in Behind Enemy Lines at BeaverBliss.com. If you haven't read if you haven't read it yet, go check it out. Uh, but Chris. What has Trenton provided to this offense since he took over the starting job? Because that was, you know, that was one of the things that shifted uh, when Sean Iguano took over the this this interim staff. He, he made a change of quarterback there. Yeah, really. So actually, what what the ordering uh, of it was, uh, uh, Trenton uh, wasn't the quarterback until Emory kind of struggled after Sean Iguano took over uh, play calling duties, and then. Um, Trenton went in there and he's uh, performed quite well up until last week against Washington State. Um, and part of that, I think, is they, they 
ditched the whole uh, slower tempo huddling. They went a little more aggressive, uh, throwing the ball more on first downs and um, playing more spread, getting into some more uh, five wide empty type stuff. And Borgay's really good at getting the ball out of his hands. Um, I think he was leading the country actually going into last week's game with uh, the ball coming out in 2.0 seconds. Wow. So that was something that really throughout the whole early portion of the year, ASU was kind of all or nothing offensively. It was like run game, uh, Xavier Valley getting the ball 20 plus times a, a game. And then ASU would, would sometimes end up in some third and longs and they would throw the ball, you know, but they, they didn't have any sort of an intermediate or uh, quick game or RPO type of a component that was working with any sort of reliability with Emory Jones. And he's a bigger, uh, stronger, more athletic guy with a better arm probably, but Borgay is a game manager, a guy who uh, deciphers defenses extremely well and understands kind of pre-snap where he should be going with the football. And it just sort of takes what's, what's been given. Now he, he played against, um, not very good defenses. He got sort of lucky in the team that he faced coming off uh, the bench when Emory Jones got hurt against Washington, um, lighting up that secondary. Then uh, he did well against um, like a couple other teams. But then last last week, Washington State, and of course, it's a much better defense. Um, he got hit on the first possession, got sacked, fumbled, only ended up three of 10. He was kind of hurting and they never got into a, a rhythm. So part of it, I think, is a product of who they've been playing, but then also Sean Aguano taking over the play calling duties, which has also worked out well. I think I, the thing that, that jumps off the, you know, that the page, when you're looking at Borgay, it's the 71.5% completion rate, which is, if I'm not mistaken, it, it's either leading the pack 12 or it's up there. I, I don't know if he qualifies for any of the season long things quite yet. Um, but regardless, you know, five games of work there to complete, seven plus uh, out of 10 passes is, is is really impressive. I've noticed that he handles pressure really well. You know, you mentioned getting the ball out quick, about two seconds. Uh, that's, you know, you combine that with a completion rate that high, you're, you're going to find a lot of guys downfield. Um, so I guess have the, the numbers there, has, has that translated to more offensive success than what the Sun Devils were getting with Emory Jones back there? Yeah, for sure. Um, and he's just he takes kind of what's what's given like against stanford it was 78 percent completion rate ace didn't score a lot of points but there was like a bunch of check downs and he was content to take that they just they haven't been able to turn drives into enough points and they haven't been able to get enough third down conversions which has really kind of been the the challenges that they've had but um overall it's definitely been improved since the guano and, and Borgay took over they have a better understanding of how to utilize their personnel. Uh, they've thrown the ball to the tight ends more, to the running backs more. Their wide receivers going into the season, we kind of knew they were thin from a from a, a number of guys that they'd be able to get an impact on there. They, Elijah Badger's been really good. But um, other than that, it's sort of been pretty spotty. But they've kind of crafted a successful approach, I think, offensively when things are working. And that was something that they really didn't have in the first month of the season. What, what is, so I have not been able to watch as much ASU as I have other teams in the conference kind of seems like we're playing kind of similar times. You're good, <laughs> but what you're fine. So first of all, where did Borgay come from? Because 
most quarterbacks, I mean, in the Pac-12, you kind of have heard of all of them. I have not heard of him. And then is he a dual threat guy? Is he more of a pocket passer? He's a game manager, but is he is he a threat to run the ball? Those are very good questions. So he went to Marana High School, which is near Tucson, and he was a lit the world on fire type of a quarterback against not great yeah. competition. Um, and But he didn't get a lot of offers. He's undersized. Uh, maybe 5'11", I would say, 180 pounds, doesn't have a, that big of an arm, not not that great of an athlete. He ended up walking on to ASU rather than go to a small Division One opportunities. And he was in the same class as Jane Daniels. So, okay. of course, Daniels um, looked really good, actually, as a freshman coming in, very heralded, uh, became the starter. And so Borgay never really had a chance to sort of challenge that. And then um, when Daniels left to, to LSU, it from a timing standpoint, it didn't work out very well for Borgay because he actually uh, hurt his foot um, last season uh, towards, uh, like, I want to say, like, the end of August or so. So he couldn't even replace uh, Jane Daniels when Jane Daniels was kind of struggling because he wasn't anywhere near 100%. He delayed having surgery. Uh, didn't look good in the spring. Then he had, then he had surgery. They put a pin in it. He started to get better, but Emory Jones then came onto the scene. And so then he's battling Emory Jones. He still wasn't back to 100% for camp. He ended up losing the job to Jones. But then he started to get a lot healthier September, October. And then when Jones struggled, Jorge was sort of ready to, to, to be out there. And look, he's, he's good quarterback. I think he probably should have been able to get opportunities elsewhere based upon what he did successfully in high school. Um, it's just that because he's a little bit undersized, doesn't have a big arm and played at a smaller high school. I think those are the things that, that limited him. Uh, he's not, I wouldn't, he, he's, you know, in the range of, of quarterbacks, he, it would be a dual threat, but he's not a super athlete like the Jane Daniels or Emory Jones type of a guy. He's mobile enough and he can go, he can run zone read and go scramble and get you yards and stuff like that. He's not super pocket oriented, like, you know, um, Stanford's quarterback or yeah. something like that. Got it. Got it. So totally has, changing has subject though. It. Have you been surprised by Jay, speaking of Jane Daniels, because you've covered him for a long time. I was never that impressed with him. I mean, maybe it's because at Oregon state, he never performed his best, but are you surprised by what we're seeing from him at LSU? Right. So, um, Daniels this doesn't have to be like good... crazy, but <laughs> no, he, he, he did a very good job as a freshman at ASU. Remember he had Brandon Ayuk That's right. and, yeah. and, and they played a, they played a simpler style of offense, I think, which made it easier to hit for him to adapt. Um, he is somebody who looks better when they sort of strip it down and they have playmakers around okay. you to get the ball to, which LSU has more playmakers <laughs> than, than an ASU. Right. So I still think that, long-term from a projection standpoint, he doesn't read coverages very well. He doesn't see, he doesn't have the ability to throw guys open like most NFL draft picks will. And so I think that there's a lower ceiling on him than a lot of other guys who were, um, you know, ranked in the same sort of range that he was. Cool. Moving around the Arizona state defense, there appears to be a, at least when you look at the stats and again, like Angie, I, for whatever reason, you know, ASU hasn't been uh, on on my TV as much as some of the other Pac-12 teams. I, I think, again, it probably comes back to kickoff times. But um, 
from what I have seen from this team, it's, you know, there is a lot of high-end talent at the top of the depth chart at the skill positions on offense. So we talk about Borgay, uh, Xavier, is it, it, there's a lot of X's and lot Z's of hard in, names. in his name. <laughs> it's Xavion, it? right? Yeah, Xavion. Okay. okay. So I, I have, I have seen that he goes by X. So I'm going to roll with that X Valade um, at running back. And then Elijah Badger, at wide receiver. So Valade uh, is, is actually the career or the, the active career rushing leader in the FBS after transferring into the program um, after spending four years, I believe at Wyoming. And then Elijah Badger um, has, has quickly become one of the more productive wide receivers in the PAC 12, at least statistically. So clearly the talent is there at the top of the depth chart um, and, and Oregon State will have its hands full in, in taking care of those guys. But I mean, I'm curious what the depth looks like behind them. Is is that where maybe some of the struggles occur on this offense? Yeah, I think it's a com- it's been a combination of, of factors, right? Like um, Glenn Thomas arrived. Um, I don't think he knew his personnel all that well. They were sort of figuring out you know, who was going to be their key players and, and why and how, and they, they had the quarterback situation and they lost several of their starting offensive linemen from last year, which was a factor. And they had uh, division one transfers at, at tight end and wide receiver and elsewhere. So they were slow to identify kind of who were their best players, how they needed to utilize them. And uh, it's become very clear in recent weeks, really in the last, I would say five to six weeks that, you got to get the ball to Elijah Badger as much as possible. And Xavier Valade is a high volume carry guy, but he always was. You mentioned his career at Wyoming. He, he led the Mountain West for over you know four year period. Uh, and he's always been super reliable. He's second in the conference in rushing yards per game. He's first in carries, but they weren't throwing the ball to him that much. And they weren't throwing the ball to their tight ends. Jalen Conyers had uh, three touchdowns at Colorado. Messiah Swinson, a Missouri transfer, uh, has also been pretty good in, in the, the passing game when they've decided to utilize him. So they they just – I think now they understand, okay, we have Borgay, we got to get the ball, pass and run to validate as much as we can, got to get the ball in the hands of Badger as much as we can, and he can be a three-level threat, get him, get him the ball on screens, you know, slants and come back, and then he's going to get some vertical playmaking opportunities. Uh, Geo Sanders is a, a slot receiver who's been doing pretty good, but he's hurt this week. So Cam Johnson is is going to probably get the start in the slot. He transferred in from Vanderbilt. They thought he was going to be better than he has been to this point. He was their leading receiver uh, in terms of career yardage and receptions, but has been a backup uh, really. Uh, but he he'll play more of a role. But those are those guys and the tight ends that I mentioned and Daniel Ngata as a change up, change of pace guy who's got some speed on the edge. That's the guys that you have to be aware of that the ball is going to be in their hands. How about, so, you know, last week Oregon State played Cal and we, we had um, Jackson Moron and he talked a lot about the skill positions at Cal, like great running back with Jade Knott, the, the wide receivers, quarterback, but they struggle in the trenches. How is ASU's O-line? So this is really the key point, especially for this week. And the reason is because they've had injuries. They, they were probably like seven deep at the beginning of the season. But then Joey Ramos, who's a, a Iowa State transfer, who was going to be starting, he uh, suffered a season-ending injury. Uh, Darius Henderson a month ago uh, suffered a, a hand injury that required surgery. He hasn't played again. 
And then Ben Scott hurt his uh, arm. He's ASU starting center. He hurt his arm against Washington State. I don't think he's going to play this week. So they're three of their top four or five offensive linemen won't play in this game. Um, and now they have Ben Bray, who hasn't really played that much at all, uh, who's going to be starting at center probably this week. And that that matters so much because they need to be successful on early downs in the run game in order to, to be able to have some drive sustainment. And then also some of the protections have been a little bit of an issue. They have talented guys at tackle, but they're younger and experienced. And so they their performance has been sort of all over the place. Like some, some games very good, some games not good at all. But Isai Glass at left tackle, who's um, – He's a sophomore, played a little bit as a true freshman last year. And then they have uh, very rare Emmett Boley, a Division II transfer from um, Northern States in, in uh, South Dakota who's at right tackle. But uh, those those are matchups that I think can be exploited, especially with the, the quicker, more athletic uh, pass rushers and blitzers on the edge. I want to move to the defensive side here and, and look at a matchup that I think is going to go a long way in determining the outcome of this game. And that's Oregon State's run offense versus Arizona State's run defense, which is giving up 175 yards per game. That's 99th in the country going up against an Oregon State offense that is led by Damian Martinez. He's run for 100 plus in each of the last four games, um, you know, to, to 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 credit Arizona State's favorite in this matchup here, um, Oregon State with a, a couple of injuries in the running back room and, and on the offensive line last week. We'll see how that plays out if those guys are able to go. But it feels like a matchup where Oregon State might be able to get something going on the ground and uh, and move the ball consistently there. What has held Arizona State back in the run game? And, and do you have reason to believe that, that maybe they could step up this week against Oregon State at all? No, I don't think that they're going to be much better. It's it's they're sort of fully baked at this point in terms of what they <laughs> <laughs> what they've been. Um, they they got totally destroyed on the ground by Eastern Michigan, and that was like a sign early on. Okay, this is going to be a long year. Um, UCLA ran for 400 yards uh, on the ground, which was the most that ASU's given up at home in like 15 years or something like that. Um, so. And, and I think injuries again have been a little bit of a factor. Uh, they lost one of their best, they lost their best defensive end, Michael Matus, for the season. At the outset, they've had a couple of their defensive tackles have missed games uh, due to injury. But I, I think that what's what's sort of gone on is guys have been trying to do too much instead of just doing their job, play their gap, play their assignment. They're kind of getting turned and all over the place, and the linebackers have been kind of jumping around a little bit too much, and guys are getting they're getting blocked also that's a big factor is they're not the biggest strongest most physical and then you 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 overlay that some of the the fundamental and uh discipline issues that they've had and it's been very problematic some games they've actually looked pretty good but the teams that have had very good deliberate and well executed run games they've struggled against and oregon state of course qualifies. So I, I I think that that's going to be a significant challenge. Probably is who's going to have to get a little bit more aggressive, uh, you know, do some slants, bring some some edge pressure on some, some rundowns, try to sort of just jam it up inside and accept playing more man coverage on the back end. Do you feel that the defense is playing up to its potential this year? Yeah, I mean, Definitely well, not. Uh, not to... <laughs> 
Yeah, not to butt in here, but I mean, I look at some of the guys on that defense and, you know, Kyle Soley's been there forever. Merlin Robbins or Robertson feels like he makes plays against Oregon State every year. Corey Bethley in the back end, Oregon State fans have seen him yeah. at Hawaii for the last handful of years. I mean, there's a lot of veteran, uh, you know, there's a there's a huge veteran presence, a lot of guys who have made plays there for a long time so it surprises me from at least an outsider's perspective to see Arizona State give up 400 yards on the ground to UCLA and struggle against some of these teams that it has this year hey but payback because I seem to remember you know Benjamin like running what <laughs> three or four hundred against Oregon State one one year yeah he had 300 yeah. that was his best, his best, his best <laughs> so game yeah uh, look I think uh, this is a, a game where there's contrasting coaching like, I think Oregon State has really great coaching. I think ASU's coaching is not so good. And this is sort of the product of the NCAA investigation, Herm Edwards being on the hot seat, not being able to acquire the types of coaching that um, ASU had, had been able to previously. People, I don't know, Oregon State fans may not know this, but they lost both their coordinators, Antonio Pierce and Zach Hill, in like February. Right. And that's after everybody's already filled their, their jobs. So ASU very late uh, took sort of a flyer on its offensive coordinator, Glenn Thomas. That didn't work out. He came from UNLV. And Donnie Henderson was an analyst who he's an older guy. He's been a coach for 40 years. He was actually an ASU defensive backs coach in the last Rose Bowl season in 1996. And he had been a coordinator for a year or two, even in the NFL, but that's 20 years ago. And I think what happened is they, their, their understanding of how to best utilize their personnel was flawed. Basically, they, they, they're recruiting people. They added big cover corners. Ro Torrance is 6'3", 215 pounds. Tark Luckett, 6'2", 210 pounds. Those are guys that you want to get the line of scrimmage, get their hands on receivers, play man coverage, be more aggressive. But then what happened is Donnie Henderson and probably Herm Edwards' conservative nature uh, and them thinking they weren't going to be that good this year played a role in this. But they played extremely conservative zones, giving up a lot of cushion. And what happened is teams, they just uh, they ran the ball well against them and they threw the ball on the perimeter underneath this bend-don't-break style that um, ASU is very bad on third-down defense, actually 130 out of 131. Florida is the only worst, the only team that's worse, and they're very bad in the in the red zone. They get they get run on. So like Coletto will probably have like three touchdowns. Something like that in this, <laughs> if Coletto's in healthy, yeah, if Coletto yeah, I don't know about week. that. Okay, so I don't know, but yeah, that, yeah, if that happens, there's a right now. They they had guys dropping like flies last week. Yeah, the uh, it, it's interesting the parallels between what Chris just said about. ASU's defense and what we saw from Oregon State's defense for four years before they made the switch to to elevate Trent Bray. Um, but I will okay, say, so, though, just like what Trent, Trent or what Chris says, when Trent Bray decides to go into soft coverage, Oregon State gives up. Yeah. That's when they've given up. I mean, Washington, they went total soft zone coverage. Washington marched down the field and scored that go-ahead touchdown. We've, uh, yeah, we've, we've kind of been all doom and gloom about ASU so far. So Chris, I, I want to give you a chance to highlight maybe an area or two that you feel that you feel that maybe the Sun Devils match up well against Oregon State. Cause you know, I, I look up and down this team and it feels like 
it's kind of strength on strength in some areas for ASU, but is there something that you think maybe the Sun Devils can take advantage of or, or maybe an, an element of that team that Oregon State's going to struggle against? Well, look, I, uh, I think when ASU does play a lot of man coverage, they've been pretty successful. I don't think Oregon State's receivers are more threatening than most of the receivers that ASU's gone up against already this season. So I think what you have to do is you have to commit more to the box and try to make it hard to run the football or at least as, as much resistance as you possibly can and accept that maybe Oregon State's going to max protect and beat you on a double move, you know, once or twice in the game. That, that definitely could happen. But I think you have to be very aggressive, which is ASU's not done. If they do that, I think they do have a chance to be decently successful. Uh, and then really, Elijah Badger is not going to – Oregon State has very good uh, cover corners. Uh, um, in fact, those guys in man coverage have done a very good job this season from what I've seen, uh, getting their hands on a lot of balls and whatnot, and they have good size and all that. But no, they're not going to be able to consistently stop Elijah Badger. So you have to figure out how you can get Elijah Badger the ball as much as possible. And also, I think uh, you're going to have opportunities to get the tight ends running into some places where they're going to be able to be factors in the passing game. I mean, at the end of the day, Borgay's probably, for ASU to win, he's going to probably have to throw for over 300 yards and three touchdowns. What kind of home field does ASU have right now? Home field advantage? advantage yeah. Is bad. Uh, they're, they're, <laughs> Not Stanford actually, bad, though. <laughs> no, no, I went to Stanford, and that that is a whole different level of bad. Um, you know, ASU had two games earlier this season that were among the least attended of all time, actually. Um, they had a game with 36 or 37,000 fans, which is very low for ASU. Um, they had Parents Weekend, though, um, and that was a much better uh, showing last week. I, I think that because this is sort of senior day and homecoming, they, they'll probably do decently well, maybe something in the 40,000 40, people range. Um, but it's not going to be a great crowd. And, and the fans, are they've, they've sort of checked out on what's going on this year. It's a bad season, obviously. It, it feels like an important question to ask just because of how much Oregon State has struggled away from Research Stadium this year. I mean, defensively in particular, you know, anytime Oregon State's on the road, it's it's giving up substantially more points than at home. The Beavers still yet to give up 17 or more than 17 in Corvallis, and they're consistently giving up more than that on the road. So it, it does feel like a, you know, one of those spots where ASU will probably be able to move the ball a little bit more on the Beavers than it might at Research Stadium. A couple of coaching related questions before we get you out of here, Chris, because that is obviously one of the main storylines surrounding this team right now at ASU. Uh, Sean Aguano, the, the interim head coach, was elevated from running back coach uh, after spending most of his coaching career in the high school ranks, actually came to uh, came to that staff about, what, four years ago now and is uh, currently the interim guy. Does it feel like this team is is playing like maybe more inspired or is it executing more under his uh, his direction than it was in those first couple of games under under Herm at the beginning of the year? Yeah, I think he, I think they've been improved. Um, they just had so far to go to become decent, and they had so many issues with discipline and not really being inspired, not sort of putting their best foot forward on a consistent basis. And then when he took over, it was like an immediate gauntlet of like ranked opponents, like three weeks in a row. And then 
you know, the Pac-12 is pretty good, six ranked teams, right? And ASU hasn't had an easy schedule. Um, so they, 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 they never were able to have a two or three game stretch where they could get into this really great rhythm where everybody was healthy and they could get some wins sort of building up. I, they're, they're probably better than the record, you know, overall from a talent and, you know, capability standpoint, but they've underperformed, I think, due to coaching and discipline and, um, and turnovers. Like ASU was the last team in the country to recover a fumble. And, um, that's you know partly luck and partly style of play and other factors so there's there's you know there's anytime that a team is struggling or or whatever there's like a whole bunch of reasons that that's the case um i do think that the the players like last week they were losing 28 nothing to washington state everything was going wrong and then they shut out washington state in the second half scored all 18 points it was 30 degrees it was it would have been easy for them to be like yeah, okay, we're out of here and hit the eject button on on the whole thing. But they continue to battle and so and, and they, they seem to really like each other and they enjoy the team isn't one that has a lot of egos or guys like clicks and guys who don't like other guys and stuff like that. So I, and they know it's senior day and everything. So they'll probably come out and play hard and and I don't think they'll they'll execute extremely well, but they'll they'll show up. It's amazing though when you get guys that actually like playing football and like each other stranger things can happen because yeah and opposite i mean oregon state saw at the end of the gary anderson and those kids all just checked out that was like right that was disaster <laughs> dennis, dennis erickson was like yeah. that at asu i mean it so yeah we've all kind of seen that over the yeah. years just for a three and seven team this this particular team is is not like that yeah uh, looking looking ahead as Arizona State conducts this coaching search and, and starts looking at candidates, um, I, I noticed throughout the week in, in some of the interviews down in Tempe with, with, with Guano and some of the coordinators, a couple of them were asked maybe what criteria they think um, should, should, you know, would be important with a new head coach coming into ASU. And um, I didn't like actively read through their answers. Uh, so I'm curious both what they said and what you think is important and, and what would um, propel a coach, a coach to success at that university. Yeah. I asked um, both Sean Aguano and Donnie Henderson, those questions. Cause I'm just, you know, obviously Sean Aguano wants the job. I think it's very unlikely he's going to be able to get it without, um, you know, now that he hasn't performed better in the win column. Um, there's something that's been missing at ASU for a very long time now from in terms of a, a coach who has the ability to connect with players, but also have discipline. They basically vacillated between these two extremes, which is the Dennis Erickson and Herm Edwards where they're heavily penalized. And, but it's like the player's coach. And yet there's just a bunch of stuff that's just missing in terms of, having that competitive edge and the, the toughness and the discipline. And then the Todd Graham was the total opposite other end of the spectrum, the very sort of authoritarian iron fist from my way or the highway guy who they had almost no penalties and um, they were very good early on, but then he didn't have the ability to relate and connect with the kids and he burned everybody out. And then they literally just fell apart. Um, and then he didn't really learn from that experience because he had the same thing happen at Hawaii, obviously, <laughs> right? Which a bad place to go to Hawaii and try that uh, that, that approach yeah, uh, yeah. And, that, and a bad and a bad and a bad hire. But um, 
Bruce Snyder was the last really successful ASU coach who had the ability to um, present some tough love, right? But also have the kids be motivated and enjoy playing for them. And then I think also very importantly, at a place like ASU, you need to understand the, the, the regional footprints, recruiting, staff building. ASU's best teams have majority of their kids have come from Southern California and Arizona. Coaches need to be able to understand how to build staffs that can recruit to those areas. You need to have coordinators who are very good, right? Oregon State been able to do that. Um, it all basically all of the best coaches in the Pac-12, the Kyle Whittingham's, and um, you know when Oregon was really good with Chip Kelly, he was the he was the guy. Uh, Pete Carroll was his defense, right? You have to be able to understand what you're going to be able to bring in from a talent standpoint and how to make those players activate the best way possible. So um, if you can do those things, I think you have a chance to be successful at ASU. It's it's pretty good program in a lot of respects, but it has sort of fallen on harder times in recent years due to, I think, an administration that doesn't really understand um, what they should be looking for in a football coach and why or a willingness to fund that um, and uh, coaches who have not had any sort of understanding of the region or the recruiting component or the, you know, the, the fact that NFL players and college players are very different and they need to be reached and grabbed and, uh, and uh, dealt with in a totally different manner. So um, yeah, that's sort of the, the things I've been saying repeatedly to uh, anyone who might listen. You should be on the search committee because, see, I mean, you understand it. But I, you, you make some good points because you, you named off Pete Carroll, Kyle Whittingham, even Coach Smith, which he's not maybe at that level yet. But the thing that they all have done is created a good create a good culture. Um, Chris, Peterson, Chris Peterson, Mike Bellotti. Yeah, I mean, Chip Kelly. I mean, it was a it was a whole culture. It wasn't just X's and O's. Dennis Erickson had it, I think, earlier in his career. By the time he was at ASU, I think he was a little grizzled and the, sh the ship has sailed yeah, and, and, yeah. <laughs> you know, i mean not to go into a whole thing but his miami teams were super undisciplined but they were so talented they're that so they talented. were able to overcome that yeah, yeah. asu with vontez perfect not talented <laughs> enough to overcome that <laughs> true yeah uh before we get you out of here chris we got to get your thoughts on just this matchup as a whole how this thing plays out uh if you want to give us a score prediction we'll take it um kickoff at 11 15 a.m pacific just afternoon local at some sun devil stadium I, i'm sure you'll be there with your staff what do you expect to see when you get there on saturday well i'm hoping that there's breakfast in the press box first of all because <laughs> the we don't almost ever get breakfast but it's better than the normal stuff that we get and i usually take my staff out if we're playing at night to eat before the game so that we don't so i'm but i'm hoping you know we'll see what happens um the weather should be great uh i think i think it's i think it should be a pretty good game actually um oregon state as mentioned is almost never comes in and and blows asu out like it's probably won one game in the last 15 20 years or something like that um I do think Oregon State's going to win. I, I I don't expect a high scoring game. I think it'll be more in the middle to lower end scoring range. Um, but ASU's not good enough in the key moments, the third downs, the red zones, 
Um, they they just there's just a little bit you know missing, and so I think Oregon State will win. I, I've kind of gone, gone back and forth between like thirty to twenty three or something, but I'm twenty seven to twenty is kind of what I'm going with. I, I just think that you know there may be a fewer possessions in this game with the ball on the ground quite a bit. Feels about right to me. Angie and I, I will have our predictions at Beaver Blitz yeah. tomorrow. I, mean, I have to get you my my pick because I got a little crazy today. I'll keep an eye on my email for that, Angie. Yeah, I know. Eric, right. have you got his yet? Uh, haven't checked. I, okay. I don't think I have. Um, Chris, <laughs> any anything you want to add before you get out of here? We'll, we'll give you a platform here to, to plug Sun Devil Source if, if you want before you bounce. You know, we're just we're doing the, the coaching search stuff and – there's going to be a huge transfer wave. I mean, that's sort of the way of the world now, right? Uh, for the people, the, the Oregon State fans, and some of them probably want to go to this trip because it's nice weather and all that stuff. Uh, I hope that everybody enjoys it. I recommend uh, using the light rail. You can get from the airport to downtown Phoenix or down, or right to the stadium or downtown Tempe very easily. They've populated more restaurants and hotels in the downtown Tempe area in the last several years. And I, I think that it makes for makes for a pretty good trip. It's one of the better trips from a access and, and, and usability standpoint. People want to do fun stuff. You know, it's a good time to go hiking, Camelback or Paestoa Peak or something like that. Um, make sure you drink plenty of water and uh, go early. Don't, get, don't, don't overdo it. But, um, but no, I look forward to, uh, you know, to just kind of doing everything that we do at, at Sun Devil Source and, um, hopefully seeing you guys the next time that I get an opportunity to. He's uh, he's the best in the business, guys. So, And Chris, I might be coming down more often because I have a senior in high school that's he got he got a scholarship at ASU, but he's going to Grand Canyon instead. So he'll be Phoenix bound. Ooh. Okay, well, let me know. Uh, I will. Yeah, I've, I've made a, t- uh, a couple of trips down there to the, the Tempe, Scottsdale area already this year covering baseball and basketball. And I can vouch for how nice it is and how convenient everything is down there. So Oregon state fans making the trip uh, buckle up. You're going to, you're going to have a good one. I will not be there this week. So Chris, unfortunately I, I won't have a chance to, to catch up with you in the press box, but if they're serving pancakes or waffles for breakfast, have one for me, please. <laughs> I am. I'm going to try to make you guys jealous. Yes. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye, thanks Chris. Chris. Thanks See for ya. joining us. That was Chris Cartman of SunDevilSource.com on the 24-7 Sports Network. As always on Thursdays, we like to bring on the experts from our network and pick their brain a little bit. And uh, Angie, it never ceases to amaze me. Just the so much good stuff. The, the expertise Every week. that they that they provide. Every week. I Chris hope that is... we I hope we give this much information to Beaver fans. But... <laughs> yeah. Chris I'm absolutely just... is one of the best in the business. He's been on the the leading edge of all sorts of news, especially on this coaching search and and uh, when when some of the you know the allegations and violations were coming down against this coaching staff, uh, he was the first to report all sorts of that stuff. So yeah. I've, um, I've worked with Chris. I, I've done this now since '06, um, and I worked with Chris the whole time. He was here before me, um, so he definitely knows what he's what he's doing. Sorry, I keep looking because, guys, I'm hoping we can break a commitment on here. Um, I'm just waiting for the young man to to give me the go-ahead, but um, hoping to have a commitment. I was supposed to be out on five. I don't know what the holdup is, but once it happens, I'm going to interrupt Carter, and we're going to we're going to break it here. Yeah, the Jonathan Smith bat signal is already out. Uh, we will definitely provide that news to you as it comes in. Hopefully, we can do it live on the podcast. But if not, 
We'll do it at beaverblitz.com. Yes, sir. The number one place to be during Oregon State's football season and, and really year round for coverage on Oregon State athletics. Angie, one of the fastest growing sites on the 24-7 Sports Network. We can uh, we can share that with the listeners here. You guys are, are really helping us crush our numbers right now. And uh, we hope that you continue to join us as this football season, sadly, starts to kind of wind down a little bit. How how excited, Carter? So 24-7 sends out these monthly kind of state of the, the network emails to everybody. And then they, they recognize the top performers performing sites. Usually Oregon State is not on that list, but how excited were you when we when Oregon State made the made the cut this last last month? Yeah, it was pretty cool to see uh it's, you know a, a testament not only to I, I feel like the, the uh, more and more work we put in this football season to increase our content, but also everyone who's who's listening to us on the damn podcast and who reads everything we put up there on Beaver Blitz. We seriously cannot thank you guys enough because you are at the end of the day, the reason that we are one of the fastest growing sites on the network. And we hope to make that list again next month and the yes. month after that, and the month after that, and the month after that. Yes. Yes, we do. All right. Let's move to the news from Corvallis throughout the week. I went down to Jonathan Smith's press conference on Monday and it was a long one. It, it was actually one of the, the longer ones of the year. And he opened with a, an opening statement that went on for nearly six minutes, which is very un Jonathan Smith like, um, but lots of stuff to cover. And primarily Angie, I, th I think we have to start with the injury notes because it's yeah. uh, a very comprehensive list this week, which at Oregon state this year, you know, the injury bug hasn't really bit. But last week against California, man, that was it was a costly costly win. Uh, do you want to run through some of these, or do you want me to handle? Yeah, it? I mean, we've got the whole list here. We got the whole list. So, I mean, you, I mean, got, see, like in some of them, like Alex Austin and Jaden Grant, I didn't see them go out because I just figured they were taken out because of the big lead. But um, I mean, you look at Jack Coletto was out with a hamstring. Jam Griffin, I don't know if they said, but it looked like concussion protocol for him. O-lineman uh, Tali Fuaga and Hanali Bloomfield went out with lower leg injuries. Alex Austin, Jaden Grant, both defensive backs, special teams, Jack Kane, wide receiver, Josiah Irish. And then Deshaun Fenwick was out with a boot, which that was like a game time announcement. And McCartan didn't suit up as well. John McCartan. That was a lot. Of, lengthy list. Yeah. Yeah. That's um, for those keeping track at home, that's eight guys who left the game and two who didn't suit up before. So, I mean, 10 of, well, I guess Khan is a, a, a walk on, but I mean, that's 10 of what 85 scholarship guys right yeah. there who yeah. were injured. Uh, I mean, we, crazy. Yeah. Now, we will wait until Saturday to find out which of those guys are not going to be available this week, but it doesn't what are, what's sound your gut? like. Because well, Jonathan I, said, I mean, you know, he's going to be super vague on yeah. all of it. And he said he hoped to have like half back. So it, it did sound like Josiah Irish is probably going to go. Um, it sounded like from, from what Jonathan said, he, he said, you know, it felt like if, if we gave Fenwick a week to rest, held him out on Saturday, he would be good to go the rest of the way. So the, the assumption, I, I guess, is that Fenwick is, is going to be close to returning, if not uh, returning in full this week, which uh, to me was a surprise because I, I spotted him on the sideline when I was down there before the game with a boot on his right foot. And I said, you know, anytime a guy's wearing a boot, that doesn't look great. Uh, you know, you worry about the that being like a multi-week slash season ending type thing. 
but for Unless whatever it's reason, like it, it could be like a plantar fasciitis, right? In which case, that's a kind of a day to day kind of thing. Yeah, don't want to speculate too much on that, but True. it does uh, again sound like Fenwick could be available this okay. week. So commitment, we'll see. Commitment but but to announce oh, breaking, breaking news, breaking news, sounding alarm. Oregon State has landed a defensive tackle from Salt Lake City, Utah, by the name of Abraham Jojo Johnson. Salt Lake City Olympus High School, five or he's about what six two? I think one two seventy right now. It's a bit of a project, a little bit of a project in that he hasn't played football, organized football for more than a couple years. Oregon State spotted him at a camp this summer, offered him on the spot, multiple Mountain West scholarships. But um, this is just huge news, Carter, because project or not, he's a D tackle, and Oregon State needs bodies in that position room. Yeah, I will be honest. I, I don't do any of the recruiting stuff really at, at Beaver Blitz, but I, I took a look at his profile earlier in the day when you put your crystal ball in for him. And I said, you know, that the uh, the offer list doesn't necessarily like jump out and scream. This is a guy Oregon State really needs. But I mean, how how often have we come on here and said, man, Oregon State's a defensive tackle away and oh, they really need to bolster their their depth on the the, the defensive line. Well, here you go. It's a, it's a guy who, you know, will probably take a little bit of time to 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 build up. And I, I think you said, if you didn't just touch on it here already, I, and and I missed it. This is a guy who hasn't even really been playing football that yeah. long. Um, so will continue to grow and and could potentially be a contributor down the line if he's not right away. Which which yeah. he probably won't. To be fair, but um, it, it never hurts to have more depth in that defensive line room. Yeah, and I, mean, and I, I trust Oregon State's coaching staff to to only go after guys who they expect are, are going to be contributors down the line. And it, it's not very often under Jonathan Smith's uh, recruiting direction that you see them land somebody who just doesn't end up playing at all. Yeah, and, and Quincy Wright is a true freshman right now um, out of Texas. He's one to watch. I mean, I've been hearing some really good things from him in practice. Just has to add a little strength and, and technique, but um, and that's where I see um, JoJo kind of being. But um, like I said, it's been a long time. You know, it's those defensive tackles are not an easy thing to recruit. So um, I'm, I'm just going to pop this over and get this story out because I had it all ready to go. But um no, it's a, it's a big day. So look at you guys listening to the damn podcast. You got the scoop. First to it here. You are the uh, the the many of you who are watching us live on YouTube got the scoop as it unfolded. So while Angie is popping that up on the site, I'll continue through our regularly scheduled programming here on this game preview episode of the damn podcast. So moving through the the list of things that Jonathan Smith touched on in his Monday press conference this week. With regard to the injuries, of course, guys come out, you send new ones in, and Jonathan was was very quick and, and proud to kind of highlight some of the guys who stepped in to the lineup once those injuries occurred. So he specifically called out Tanner Miller and Tyler Murano on the offensive line. Those guys, uh, you know, of course, it, it takes a little bit of time to, to get up and rolling on the O-line, but... As the game progressed, we didn't really see Oregon State drop off there at all against Cal. And I will say, oh, Peter Peter Riley Osborne, who does all of our offensive line breakdowns, actually was texting me during the game and was like, dang, Tanner Miller and Tyler Morano are looking really, really good for their their first real real action. A couple of guys who have been in the program for a few years now, even though I I think technically they're still both redshirt freshmen, Freshmen. but I think they're the third year variety of that. 
Um, in the defensive backfield, Ryan Cooper Jr. moved over from nickel to corner. Akili Arnold came in at safety, as did uh, Skylar Thomas as well. So uh, three guys there who were either out of position or, or came in from the bench and, uh, and, and continued to produce there in that secondary with Austin and Grant out. On special teams, Jeremiah Noga, Bryce Caulfield, Jaden Robinson got shoutouts from Smith. We don't really highlight special teams a ton on the podcast, but it's it's something that we like to go in depth on at Beaver Blitz from time to time. Special teams has very, very quietly been. but Well, actually, recently it hasn't been as quiet because Anthony yeah. Gould just passed that 55-yard punt return touchdown. Uh, but special teams has has kind of quietly improved year over year and is now actually kind of a strength for the Beavers in, in 2022. Uh, and those guys stepping in for the injured, uh, the guys who left throughout the game, got a shout out on Monday. Uh, one more note from Monday in the running game. Uh, Jonathan Smith mentioned that Isaiah Newell and Kanoa Shannon will continue to get work throughout the week and uh, will we'll potentially see the field if Jam Griffin and Deshaun Fenwick both sit. Those guys came in late in the game and Isaiah Newell actually on, on uh, upon further review, you know, he, he did. It really was a touchdown. He, yeah, it, it kind of looked like he got in, but um, a, a 13 yarder nonetheless that set up a score. I hope he leaders. gets a score this week because seriously, the kid has has battled. He deserves a, yeah. a score. Kanoa Shannon, the walk-on two, has, who has actually been a key practice player. We, we see a lot of him during camp. Yeah. Um, kind of cool to see him get an opportunity there, too. Of, of course, Oregon State wants its top guys back, but those two will be in the mix. As will Trey Lowe, who returned last week, and Smith said they want to keep adding to his role. He's primarily a receiver last week, but they want to get him some touches as he continues to get back into the mix. A couple of other interviews from Corvallis this week. Rajon Wright, Blue Adams, uh, again, really highlighted those next man up kind of guys, especially in the defensive backfield. They thought uh, Thomas Arnold uh, really stepped up coming off of the bench. And uh, Rajon said, you know, it'll be nice to see those guys get some more run next year as they take over the throne, as he said. Um, They also acknowledged the need to step up on the road. Again, I, as I mentioned earlier when we were talking to Chris, Oregon State's defense, every week we continue yeah. to see these home road splits get wider and wider. Yeah. Uh, curious to see how that plays out when they go down to Sun Devil Stadium. And finally, an interesting question about the leadership in the defensive backfield. I, I was I was intrigued to hear Blue Adams say that Jaden Grant isn't necessarily like far and away the leader of that group, but rather it's you? it's very collaborative. Yeah. Um, I I think it was Rajon that said, you know, if if a freshman needs to call out a senior because he's not holding up his end of the bargain or something like that will happen and guys accept it, which is good, but that's a rarity. Right. I mean, obviously, you don't you don't want your seniors (laughs) to be in a position of of needing to get called out. But it's it's kind of cool to hear that if they are like younger guys aren't afraid to to be like, hey you know, why aren't you doing this or, or something? And and how um, much do you love listening to coach blue? Like I love when we get him because he's so entertaining. A wealth. I, always, I, I feel like I learned something when we, when we talk to him because a lot of coaches I feel are kind of buttoned up, but he, yeah, I feel like I've become a, a smarter media member, football fan listening to him. All right. We got to move on running out of time here. We have to get to our keys to the game in a, a contest that as Chris 
gave with his his score prediction of of twenty seven twenty. It, it has the feel of one of those games that could like be deceptively close. Um, I don't necessarily see Oregon State running away with this. I, I know Arizona State's not a very good team. Beavers are an eight sleep point on favorite, anybody. But you, you can't sleep on anybody, especially on the road in the Pac-12. I mean, you only have to go back about a month to go see what Oregon State did at Stanford, needing a miracle to win that game. Uh, I don't but think like, anything yeah. away from Reeser Stadium is a given for this team. Yeah, but I mean, that being I think said, across the Pac-12, I mean, UCLA, UCLA lost last week. I mean, yeah. we see a lot of teams go down. Um, Keith's the game, and I haven't typed mine in, but I see yours, and I and I agree with yours. But I actually want to see Oregon State establish some type of a passing attack because. I think you. I think ASU's. They're going to just stack the box, like Chris said, and try to stop the run. Oregon State is going to need to have some type of a passing attack. I'm filling this into the, the show okay. notes so we can come back to it. Oh, ASU will stack the box, Andy says. Okay. <laughs> yes. Um, At yeah, least so- if I was ASU defensive coordinator, I would stack the box and force them to go through the air. But I like Fair what enough, you said. My- so let's hear your key to the game because. I think it's important as well. Yeah, my key is actually the, the complete opposite. I, I want to see Oregon State, uh, for the Beavers' case, impose its will in the running game. I, I, I think you've got to be able to sustain drives and score with the ground attack if you're the Beavers in, in this game because until the passing game proves to be able to keep drives moving, I, I mean, we still see Oregon State go three and out every now and then. We see things fizzle out, and you know they, they settled for a couple of long field goal attempts last week. It, they they have balance in in terms of play calling, but they don't have balance in terms of execution. Production, they yeah. oftentimes rely on the running game to keep drives alive, and and frankly, that's not sustainable regardless yeah. of who you're playing. Um, so I think the. Keeping the running game moving is is paramount as, as long as there is no consistency in a passing game. Also, I think the Beavers could struggle a little bit with this if those injuries rear their head. I mean, I mean, yeah. you know, the offensive line, you're you're already getting a little thin. You've got three injuries yeah, yeah, there yeah. with Marco Brewer being mm-hmm. done for the year yeah. and the two that you sustained throughout the week. The lack of depth at running back, I, I hesitate to say lack of depth, but I mean there's less depth yeah. than there was. Um so I don't know. We'll see if Oregon State can take advantage of that 99th ranked run defense in the country. If it does, probably see Damian Martinez cross the century mark for the fifth game in a row, which just continues to be really impressive. But again, I just think as long as the passing game continues to be ineffective at maintaining drives, Oregon State's probably going to rely on a few big plays in the running game and um rely on Martinez to, to pick up five, six, seven yards on the ground per carry. And and I will say just like last week, because we, if Martinez is able to get five, six, seven yards of carry, then you don't want to get away from that because. Right. Um, so defensively, one of my, as, as impressed as I've been with the defense this year, I've been disappointed with their lack of a pass rush. So I would like to see them put some pressure on Borgay this early pressure him early force him into some bad decisions. Again, I'm I'm kind of taking it a different direction with this. So I feel like we have a very when you combine our, our keys to the game, we've got a very well-rounded approach yes, to yes. this. But we're not um, doing the same thing like we've done in the past. So yeah, yeah. So I, I, I appreciate that that we're seeing things a little bit differently here. I think it's really important for Oregon State to lock down on the receivers downfield this week because as we said earlier and, and as Chris mentioned, 
Bergay is very talented at handling pressure. He might not be the like the biggest dual threat guy, but he's athletic enough to avoid uh, oncoming sackers. He's, you know, he hasn't taken very many sacks. He has that extremely quick release, two seconds or less on average. It's it's impressive what he does when he's under duress. And like you just said, I I don't think Oregon State has proven that it can get to him. Um, so that just, you combine those two things. And I think that means he's going to be looking downfield quite a bit. Um, they will try a lot of quick hitters with him as well, but I think it's, it's important for Oregon state's defensive backs to kind of flex their muscles this week and, and lock onto guys because Borgay could have some time to operate. Um, he could have some time to, to maybe improvise a little bit. Some plays could break down and, and that's where your secondary gets really tested. So if the injuries in the defensive backfield carry over this week, if if you don't see Jaden Grant, mm-hmm. if you don't see Alex Austin, could be a little bit costly in my opinion. Do, do you think over under for turnovers? Do you think Oregon State gets two picks over under? Oh, it's tough. Uh, huh. I, I'd take the under with a little bit of push protection there. If, if you're if you set it at one and a half, I might lean over okay. actually, but. Um, I, I think Arizona State's going to try to going to try to to pass the ball quite a bit here. X uh, X Valade is is a very talented runner, but again, going up against Oregon State's run defense, nothing's guaranteed there. So I think they are going to have to move the ball quite a bit, especially if they get down. You know, they they could get game scripted like Cal did last week. So you mean yeah. you mean scripted Somewhat, like fall down, like uh, Chris Hudson? <laughs> yeah. it, it was part of the game script. <laughs> part of the game plan, apparently. Yeah, part of the game plan, apparently, to, to fall down. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, so okay. that's next so, week's discussion. Those guys down there. Right. So speaking of Kyrie, Oregon, Kyrie Fisher, I think, referred to those guys down there. Yeah, those guys. Those guys. Okay. Uh, speaking of Oregon, let's take a look around the Pac-12 before we get out of here. So it's uh, there are a lot of early games this week, Angie. It, it's kind of interesting. We don't always see this in the Pac-12, but things get started at 11 a.m on Pac-12 Network with Washington State going to Arizona as only a four-point favorite. Yeah, I, I think Ari- that's an interesting one. <laughs> I, I think there's a little bit of recency bias with Arizona beating UCLA yeah. last week. Yeah. Arizona's got a good offense, but I do think Washington State is better than uh, a four-point favorite in that game. Yeah, That's an early one. Then Oregon State, 15 minutes later, kicks off at Sun Devil Stadium as an eight-point favorite. I, I like this comment. Pop, pop up Brian's latest Brian Miller's comment that ASU is a good bad team. That's how I feel too. Okay, so do you they think play a lot point... of close games. They, you... I, I will say this: they have kept games close against a lot of ranked teams. UCLA. Um, I, I mean, they beat Washington. beat Washington. I mean, this is a team that has played good teams surprisingly tight throughout the year. So, Carter, do you think eight point favorite? Do you think that's too much? It feels about right to me. I, I think if if I'm looking ahead to staff picks tomorrow, I'll probably have the Beebs as a, a seven to eight point winner. Okay. Um, Stanford in Cal. the afternoon slot, we get Stanford as a five point dog in the big game, the 125th playing of the big game and the 40th anniversary of the play. The, play. the band was on the field 40 years ago. And Joe Starkey was there to call it. This is his final season as the uh, the Golden Bears play-by-play guy. Unfortunately, this game doesn't really mean a whole lot this year. It's it's kind of it kind of kind of unfortunate that on all these anniversaries, uh, very few people are going to be tuning in to watch this thing. Yeah, nobody really cares. And then, okay, so number seven USC is a 
two and a half point favorite to number 16 UCLA. That's a 5 p.m. kickoff at Fox. Think that's think that's enough? Two and a half. Yeah, the, the the other rivalry in California is is far and away the the better game here. Um I, I really don't know what to make of this matchup because I feel like USC is like I hate using the overrated word, but like they are. Don't use it. USC is going to kill. I don't feel them. like. The, yeah, I, I don't feel like. They're, they're, on. I, I don't feel like USC's resume constitutes being the the seventh best team in the country. But UCLA coming off of a loss to Arizona, I don't have any trust in that Bruins team either. So I don't. I have no idea what to expect. Probably be. Uh, it'll probably be a USC lean as far as fans in the stands at the Rose Bowl, yeah. though. They said it's going to be a sellout. No. USC or UCLA. How, but, but how many tickets exactly did they how many give of those away? tickets were free exactly <laughs> exactly so call poor Colorado yeah Colorado 31 point dogs to Washington at Washington they have to travel to Seattle 6 p.m kickoff on Pac-12 feels about right right I mean all of these Colorado lines check in at at 30 plus at this okay. point uh, and then the Washington, game. Washington gets a nice cushy spot after yeah. after Oregon I don't think you have to worry about a hangover game there no uh, I mean, but then two... the, the the nightcap is Pac-12 this the game of the week is, is this the game of the week or is it the uh is is it the LA schools I think well both I I mean this one's gotten a whole lot in, more interesting the past 24 hours though yeah this one being number 10 Utah as a now a two-point favorite at number 12, Oregon. Oregon was a favorite about 24 hours ago, and this thing flipped by about five points after Chris Hudson made all sorts of comments in his media availability. About, if that was Oregon about, State, he would about not purposefully be faking an injury, that being part of the game plan, and Bo Nix potentially not playing, and uh, Ty Next Thompson and, and, and those backups getting thrown into the mix. No idea. No idea what... Um, what what to expect if if maybe chris hudson is is just you know talking about the injuries in general or or maybe he really did leak that bo nix is not playing in this game i, I guess we'll have or to wait maybe until game it's day the to find double out. fake like the double reverse and he's just trying to fake everybody out and bo nix runs out maybe he's i don't know a, a, a guy maybe who openly admitted to cheating <laughs> yeah. i mean i i don't want to look look i don't i don't want to bash on the guy but i mean i i I'd hesitate to say that he's going that far ahead if if he really just openly admitted to to cheating. And I'm curious to see if anything comes of that, by the way, because I mean it was, it was a questionable injury in the moment, but I, I don't <laughs> think I've ever heard a guy part? actually say like, "Yeah, the game plan told me to to lay down there." Did you see that play, by the way? Have you seen it? I, it I was saw like it live, comedy. Yeah. Like we were watching it live, and like he's fine, and then he just falls over like he's been shot, like a sniper attack. Yeah, no, uh, we, we were watching that live in the press box, actually, at, at halftime of Oregon State and Cal, and uh, I said, like, th- that was one of the more phony injuries I've ever seen. I- I'm glad that he admitted it so we can actually talk about it being a fake yes, injury, because yeah. uh, obviously it's it's speculation if he never says anything about it. But yeah, that's Part a first Part of the game plan, Carter. Part of the game plan. That's a first for me, hearing somebody <laughs> admit it. Uh, Oregon State will take on those Ducks next week, but... They've got to travel to Arizona State first. Angie and I are going to cover this thing from home, but we will have all sorts of coverage at beaverblitz.com on Saturday. And then we'll be back on Sunday to recap it on the podcast. Until then, you can follow her on Twitter at Angie Machado one Go ahead and throw a follow to at Chris Cartman for your Sun Devil news. Follow me at Carter Baines, and we'll talk to you on Sunday for another episode of The Damn Podcast. 